Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles Stories of the Supernatural. And I hope you enjoy this new show, whether you're viewing it on the internet or listening to a podcast version of the episode. I do want to thank you for being part of my audience. You can also find links to videos or podcasts on MiamiGhostChronicles.com as well as where you can submit your story about any eerie experiences you've had, which I would love to hear about. Just go to the Submit Your Story tab. Please subscribe to our channel so that you receive notification of when we release a new show. And find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. This is where I usually live stream and where I give you a behind-the-scenes look at locations where new episodes are being filmed at, I also tell you about all the interesting guests that will be appearing soon on Stories of the Supernatural. I hope you enjoy the show, and I think you are all wonderful. Hi everybody, this is Marlene with Miami Ghost Chronicles, Stories of the Supernatural. How's everyone doing today? Well, here <laughs> down in Florida, it's hot. It's only the 3rd of May, but of course I'm used to it, you know, but still when you're sitting right in the middle of it and it threatens to rain it doesn't rain so yeah it's kind of crazy and as a matter of fact I was talking with my guest just about how hot and humid and kind of crazy the weather is she she's a native New Yorker her name is Ellen Datlow and um, I'm so thrilled because um, she she edits just all the type of stories that I'm into big time. She's been editing for over 35 years, science fiction, fantasy, horror short fiction. Uh, she's also been a fiction editor for Omni Magazine and an editor, editor of Event Horizon and science fiction. Now, <clears throat> she currently acquires short fiction for Tor. And in addition, she has edited more than 100 science fiction, fantasy, and horror anthologies, including the annual The Best Horror of the Year, Lovecraft's Monsters, Fearful Cemeteries, Nightmare Carnival, The Doll Collection, and many others. As a matter of fact, we're going to discuss something that she's been working on, which, I, of course, it has to do with ghosts. So how are you doing today, Ellen? I'm fine. As we talked about, it's hot here. Yes. I don't know if, it's, if it hits your hot degrees, but it's, it's, ni- did I, it's 92 degrees right now in New York. I, you know what? And two I, days ago, it was like 60. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it's 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 crazy because it's like, should I go out with a coat? Shouldn't I go out with a coat? Should I take something? Shouldn't I, I take know. something? And, and it's, yeah, it's over here. Um, like right now, it's got to be in the 80s. I haven't looked, but, you know, it's kind of humid. But, you know, I have, and so every once in a while, people will hear my audience will hear, I have birds. I live in a 100-year-old farmhouse, and I have some birds and stuff that I keep on my porch. And every night I got to pull them in because it drops down into the 60s. And for Miami, that is crazy weather, but it's like, okay. What kind of birds are they? I've got cockatiels. I've got canaries. I've got finches. Wow. I've got a little bit of some doves. Uh, yeah, I've got some, uh, all, the, all the above. And then a bunch of chickens running around. I've got some free-range chickens running around okay. my yard, so which no come chance. to visit me every morning, but I don't have to worry about them. They're very self-sufficient. But oh, that's good. Do you, do you get their eggs? Yes, I do. It. Yes, I, I do. Really yes, I'm. I'm very much into like the free range, and I'm real careful what I feed them. And uh, yes, yes. And my girls, they come and visit me. It's really funny because my desk looks out over the porch on the window, and when I don't go feed them, they'll come up and they'll look at me through the window, <laughs> like, "Hey, where's 
where's the chow man go, go get our food and yeah yeah you could tell i'm a chickenista but anyway i wanted to get up and i asked you but if how did you end up was it by accident or you pursued it as far as working in the genre as far as science sci-fi and fantasy horror how did you get into that ellen Excuse me. Well, from a ch- from childhood, I read a lot of. I realized looking back, I'm, I'm interviewed a lot. So, it, by being interviewed, I actually look back and say, "Oh, this is why I did that. This is how that happened." Otherwise, I wouldn't even think about it. Um, but I read a lot of short stories growing up. A lot of short stories in fantasy and some science fiction and some horror. I read Lovecraft and Bradbury and Harlan uh-huh. Ellison and Nathaniel Hawthorne and all kinds of things. And um, I didn't think. I didn't know anything about publishing then. I mean, when I was actually growing up, I wanted to be a veterinarian. Okay. Because I love animals. Yes. But I realized I have to take science and math, and also, and I'm terrible in them, especially yeah. math. I feel you. <laughs> Believe me, I do. Like also, oh, and I have to take care of sick animals. No, so I'm like, no, I can't deal with sick animals. No, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so then it's like a, a little more practical. Okay, I like reading. What do you do with reading? Publishing, whatever that meant. Live, working in a library, working in a bookstore. And mm-hmm. uh, I some, it, I guess when after college, I, I, I got a major in English Lit. And okay. then I traveled in Europe for a year. And then I guess I figured, okay, now what do I do? And I'd actually worked in the um, SUNY at Albany Library um, at, for a time. So I knew I really didn't want to do that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but at some point, I decided, okay, maybe I try, should try to get into publishing. And I actually really did not know what that meant. What okay. editing, I didn't know what editors did. I mean, I'd read, I read anthologies. I didn't even know about. I read the best of the years. I mean, they were old. You know, in 1968, Donald Walheim did one. Terry Carr did one, and uh, there were British ones. And I read the stories, but I didn't realize they came. I didn't really figure out where they came from. I didn't realize they came from magazines necessarily. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't until, I don't know, 19, I guess the mid-70s that I first, I, I, in 73 or 4, I got into book publishing. I looked for a job in book publishing as an editorial assistant, and I worked in mainstream publishing for a few years, getting nowhere slowly. <laughs> and my, Hi. yeah, and, but while I was there, the last, um, I started meeting people who were, well, at Holt Reinhardt and Winston, I was there for three years, and one of the editors was um, publishing some science fiction. He was publishing um, Barbara Ch- Robert Sheckley, James Morrow's first novel, and a few other people, J.G. Um, Ballard reprints from England. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, I was maybe doing a little work for him. He was not my boss, but I was kind of, he knew I liked science fiction and fantasy. Okay. And also started to found out that you could do reading for book publishers. I don't know how I found this out. I really don't remember. You know, somehow I, because I didn't know about science fiction conventions. I didn't know. Okay. So somehow I found out that, oh, I could read for book publishers and also for the science fiction book club and also the book of the month club and also 20th Century Fox and make, get money for writing little reader reports. Because, so, God, that's right, the book of the month club. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I read some really bad books that I couldn't believe were published, let alone they wanted us to pick for the book of the month club. But anyway, <laughs> so yes, I read science fiction, science fiction book. And then um, my first job in in science fiction, per se, was the Omni job. I mean, I basically somehow slipped into, I found out that it start, was starting up this magazine in 19, okay. 
It actually started October 78, but I found out about it like 79. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, the, the editor who was editing Jim Morrow and, and those people at Holt Reinhardt Winston told me about this new magazine. Oh, I had resigned. I quit after three years because I wasn't getting anywhere. But I was still friendly with people. So he would tell, he told me about this magazine, Omni, because he had someone who was doing a writing a nonfiction book for him, Frank Kendig, who was the editor of Omni magazine, this new magazine of science and science fiction. Okay. So that's kind of how I got into that. But I also, oh, and so basically I nagged them until they gave me a job, kind of. Um, but before that, when I was in book publishing, I did take a few... Um, an NYU publishing course, which basically brought in different as people who were working in different aspects of book publishing, like publicity, right. marketing, foreign rights, or rather sub rights, uh, editorial, um, and gave you an idea of the different aspects of publish book publishing, which was very valuable. And working in mainstream publishing was but, valuable. But, but still, you, I'm sure you must have learned so much, though, that that working in that it well, field, it's like. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and and the editing. I st actually the first thing I edited, I worked for this miserable bastard. I mean, he's, <laughs> he, he, I mean anyone will say that John, uh, Donald I Fine. He was infamous in the field of fiction. I mean, he uh, was the he was your version of the Devil Wears Prada. <laughs> oh, he was horrible. Oh, much worse than that. He he <laughs> was he was um, verbally abusive to everyone who worked for him. Really. In fact, twice a year or so, the building management where his Offices were came in and complained because people could hear him screaming next door. Wow. Yes. Anyway, I worked for him a miserable six or so months, and I started as a receptionist. And then I only took the job because I was desperate for another job. Uh -huh. I mean, people told me, "Don't do it, don't do it." But at this point, I was out of unemployment. I had to take something, so right. I took the job. I moved in four months or so from receptionist. It was a very small office. I went through. I did publicity. I did sub rights, I did edited a book, and I quit. I actually was one of the few people who resigned and didn't run out screaming in, or crying, rather, and just quitting. I actually gave two weeks' notice when wow. he wanted me to be his assistant, assistant editor, and his. I said, no, because his assistant left after the service. I said, are you kidding me? No. <laughs> I mean, I've been far enough away. So I resigned. Um, so that, But that was where I edited the first uh, okay. novel. That I ever edited, whatever you know, and I had no idea what I was doing. So but, something uh, good came out of it. You just like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, the thing about editing anyway, you learn on the job. I mean, no one can teach you how to edit. Mm -hmm. You either can do it or you can't. Okay. Um, you either have, and I'm not talking about copy editing, which is grammar and maybe usage of some words. Right. But to be an editor is something that yes, you learn. I learn how to continually learn on the job, but it's something that someone cannot sit. The only time I ever got a lesson in editing was when I first started, before I was actually working for Omni Magazine, I went in and was begging them to let me, if I, can I work for you, can I work for you? Mm -hmm. And Ben Bova, um, who was the fiction editor at the, at the time, he was going on a trip. He was going to the Worldcon in 1979 or 80 in Brighton, England, and he was going to be away for three weeks or something. And I was going to California and going away for three weeks, but we over, we, we overlapped one week, and I said, and he had no assistant, he had a secretary who knew nothing about fiction, science fiction. Usually you have an assistant who reads the slush. Right. He had a slush pile that, you know, very high. So I said, when you get back, I can finish reading through your slush pile. 
And at first he said, I mean, he didn't know me from a hole in the wall. At first, let <laughs> me think about it. And then he finally said, okay, yeah, sure. Come on in and read the slush pile while I'm gone. And I did. <laughs> and okay. uh, I can't believe he trusted me with it, though. But he did. What can I say? And then at one point he said, okay, here, here's a story. Line edit the first two pages or something. And I don't know what I did. And he went over the page with me two pages and then why did you do this why did you do that that is the extent of anyone teaching anyone how to edit and that's really not if no it's not i mean it you know it's like you get it or you don't get it and mm -hmm. you know i mean one of the most interesting things ed bryant um who died recently um he was someone who wrote for me sometimes for omni a lot he was great he was a really good writer of horror he started out in science fiction ended up writing a lot of horror and every time I'd buy a story from him for Omni, he would challenge me. It's like I would do my line edit. I mean, th there's a substantive edit where you go over the whole thing and you see that everything seems to be in place, the, the structure is right, the, story, the characters are okay, and blah, blah, blah. But then the last thing you do is a line edit, which is a line-by-line line edit. Okay. And, we, and usually when I do a line edit, I'll send it to the writers. Of course, there was no email then. But anyway, you send it to the writers, and then you go uh -huh. over and make it by phone. And he would challenge me on everything, which made, which forced me to actually be coherent about why I was doing something. Because, okay. you know, to me it was instinctual. I just did it. And I didn't think about why I'm doing it. It's just, well, it reads better. Okay. And, uh, but he, ch but his challenging me, and he, we were friends, so it was like not um, ad adversarial, really. Right. But he challenged me and said, well, and then I would have to explain why the whatever it is didn't work for me, which was actually very useful in, okay. as a learning experience. Experience. So that's, I know it's skipping some things, but because uh, there's memory gaps, what can I say? Oh, sure. I don't, know sure. I, I don't know what made me realize, oh, I want to be in publishing. Right. I don't, you know I, what? I don't know how I knew what publishing was and what it entailed and what the aspects of publishing were. That's what I don't know how I learned. <laughs> and you know what? I think some, and I'm not going to say it doesn't exist now, but I think once upon a time, that's really how a lot of people learned on their way up, you know, like, either working at a certain company for X amount of years or going from here to there, but you kind of like, yeah, right. even if you had you gone to school, this is how you really learn stuff. Well, people still do, and there are internships in publishing. Right. Um, I mean, you can, I think something invaluable is reading slush. I mean, I don't read slush much anymore, but it. I, but it's something very valuable. But it was you like... It, you kind of realize all the mistakes being made and what, people say, don't you get inured to how do you know something's good is it especially with slush it believe me once you're reading a lot of slush it jumps out at you when something's really good right right well, well i was about to say yeah because after a while it's like i'm sure that very shortly into the story you're like okay either this is great or uh got it right and usually for slush it's uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's right not, okay. it's not slush i may think i'll give this person a little more leeway because i know that they're a writer a professional writer or especially if i've worked with them before mm -hmm. and if i've worked in them before and love most of their stuff i'm usually more patient you know right. if if it's someone who i know well why are they doing this and does it is it working or not you know and right. they have to make that judgment that's a different judgment than when you're reading slush because you just assume they don't know what they're doing <laughs> with someone right. who has been writing for a long time when they do something odd that may kind of make you hmm you assume that they're doing it intentionally but you even so you have to ask you know when on the end during the editing process if you buy the story you have to ask is this intentional do you mean this person to be a total asshole <laughs> 
or is it an accident? <laughs> right, right. And I imagine you've had conversations where maybe they explain it like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I wanted to come well, across with. Well, then you have to say, well, is, are you going to hold the reader's attention or are they going to just say, screw it, I don't want to read this about this person? <laughs> I mean, no, seriously, that's your decision as a writer. I yes. mean, that happened. I had um, a story years ago that I really liked the story. I liked the plot. I liked the background, and I thought the protagonist was a complete and utter misogynist asshole. <laughs> I, I, I mean, he was. I mean, and I don't know if he was supposed to be as much of an asshole, and I actually challenged the, the writer on it. Uh-huh. He did make some changes. I still think the guy was too much of a jerk. Okay. I mean, I just hated him. And, you know, you can hate a, a character, but you're taking a real chance if he's the main character and we're supposed to empathize with him. You know, right. If, if you're oh, because he was the main be, character. Wow. Yeah. 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 I could see where that could be a problem. Like, although you have to even the side characters, the secondary characters, if they're not believable in their ass hollering, they're not. Mm-hmm. That's not going to work either. If they're just totally evil, and it, I mean, depends on the situ on the situation with the story. If they're meant to be evil, and they have to do this, 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 and they're horrible, 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 you don't have to delve into their background. You don't have to delve into why are they being evil. Why are they that way? That, Depends on the story. Mm-hmm. Um, for other secondary characters, if they're playing an important part, even if they're evil, you don't want to make them one-dimensional. You, even evil people ha- should have, I think, in a character anyway. Should you should try the writer should try to make some kind of dimension to that character. Right, because I imagine also in a short story you've got X amount of words or whatever yeah. to explain because it's exactly what you, you don't want somebody that's totally good or totally, the most interesting characters are the ones that even if they're predominantly bad or evil have something there's more to them than that right. relatable to them right or even the the hero is not such like oh you know no if you're, you're totally so straight uh you know on the the, the 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 you're always on a straight and narrow and there's no kind of like because human beings are not like that, I guess is what right. I'm saying. Yeah. But then, of well, course, with a short story, you've only got X amount of space to kind of like get that across. Like, But you can. I mean, you can. Yeah. But that's it. Lack of space is no excuse for bad writing. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, mean, you can I believe write, it. I mean, I've read stories that are 3,000 words that are fully realized. I mean, it's harder in science fiction, okay? Science mm-hmm. fiction is world building, too. But say in most right. stories, certainly in horror. You can have a short story, a short, really short. Flash fiction's another thing completely, and it can. I have always said I loathe flash fiction because I didn't think it worked, but I actually saw a bunch that did work, so I take that back. But okay, let's say two thousand words are up, two to five thousand words. You should have, and that's enough space to do accomplish what you want to. Um, and that means by accomplishing, I think you need to have at least. Um, if not a positive character, at least a relatable character and situation that's believable and that that works, you know, as a story and a plot, you know. And I think good writers do that all the time. And let me you ask know, you because one of the things, like, especially in science fiction, you know, once upon a time, like you say, Rad Bradbury and even earlier before that, you know, with the advent, they... They wrote a lot of science fiction that a lot of it is kind of reality in a way now. A lot of it's fantasy. I mean, a lot of Bradbury stuff wasn't science fiction at all. It was more fantasy. Fantasy. And, but, but, but what I'm saying is that now you kind of see, I've seen almost like uh, like the next, you know, 
In other words, the imaginings of, okay, where's the science fiction fantasy thing going now? It's like because a lot of what was maybe once upon a time purely imagination that didn't exist is kind of either now or very possibly soon. Right. Yeah. So, well, are, are you looking at new forms of, you know, like, I, and I've seen that a lot of these dystopian future kind of things like Blade Runner ish kind of stuff, but then it's like, okay, well, I mean, but it always has I mean, to be dark. It doesn't have to be dark. Well, if you're very realistic, there has to be the possibility of dark. I mean, if it's totally right. happy and bright, it's like, that's just so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've been publishing more science fiction on tour.com than I have. I used to publish more fantasy and horror. I've been looking for more science fiction, although I'm still publishing the other things. Right. And um, some of the stories are, they're elegiac in a way. I mean, they're for Earth, you know, like, mm-hmm. okay. Are we going to survive what we're doing to it or not? And if we are, how are we going to survive? Right. So the stories are both. I mean, um, like the Martian Obelisk, which is up for the Hugo, I think, and for the Locus Award. It's fun. Anyway, it's up for a bunch of awards by Linda Nagata. Is about um, a future Earth where a woman sculpture is creating a sculpture on Mars. It's okay. Mars. Um, by v- I, I'm not sure how it's done, you know, but there there are no humans on. Actually, there are humans on Mars. That's a whole problem. <laughs> they, she's building something. Yes, yeah, called the Martian. So the, yes, there are people. She's building it um, remotely. Okay? okay. With the money of some rich guy. Okay. She's on Earth. Earth is not doing well. She there have been disasters and things, and so the Martian project has kind of been killed off. Okay. But then there's survivors there who are going who need whatever she has in the thing she's building she's building this edifice this monument to mars and to the mars exploration and her she has to make the decision am i going to try to save these people who of course won't last long i mean maybe they will but they're still human or Mm -hmm. and destroy my monument to this what i did or do i you know, and what do I do? And so, I mean, it's that kind of dilemma. It's dealing with the past, the future, and the present, which, and it's, it's actually very moving. Okay. And it's also has a bit of hope at the end. And I think that, to me, is a wonderful, perfect kind of science fiction story that is useful for today. I mean, to say that it's going to be, oh, yeah, forget everything. Don't bother doing anything. Don't create anything. Let's all just die, you know. Right. <laughs> it's right. really depressing. But on the other hand, on some level is not unrealistic considering everything going on. Right. So, you know, so, but I think it's science fiction's job is to extrapolate from today what the future could be. Right. And there are a lot of things called science fiction. And in the old days, a lot of things called science fiction that weren't in the past also. And I mean, to move from science fiction to ghost stories. I mean, when I was doing research for the ghost story anthology, Mm -hmm. which is the originals, I was looking for a couple of classic um, public domain stories. And I was looking through all these books I had that have ghost stories in the title from like the 30s, 20s. And most of them aren't ghost stories. It's like, okay, they're supernatural stories, but there are no ghosts in them whatsoever. I said, wow, that's interesting. So how do I know this book has any ghost stories? Do I have to skim every story in the book? Yeah. (laughs) So basically, terms change. And like in science fiction, there's a lot of 
really interesting work being published today, I wouldn't consider it science fiction. It doesn't have to necessarily have science in it, but it has to have something, to me, to be called science fiction. Okay. It needs to have something to do with the future, either considering the future in some way mm -hmm. uh, and extrapolating from today things that could be happening in the near future or far future. Okay. You know, so I forget what the question. So, what was. do you consider those more like fantasy then versus science fiction? As yeah, far as, I mean, okay. yes, they're fantasy. I would guess. I mean, you know, and there's, I mean, there's something now called um, SF fantasy. I mean, there is a con combined kind of story that feels hard-edged fantasy that feels fantasy that feels like science fiction, but mm -hmm. actually is fantasy, and science fiction that feels like science fiction. Right. No, vice versa. That fantasy that that actually is science fiction. It has certain science fictional aspects to it and science fiction that is actually fantasy. You know, and I can, you know, Michael Swanwick does a lot of that. I mean, his story Radio Waves years ago that I published in Omnia, online I think it was, um, it was about radio waves, but it was actually a fantasy. So, I mean, you know, it, it mixes and that's fun. That's great. You know, but is it science fiction? No, not really when you kind of analyze it. And let me ask you, do you see any overlapping like with uh, horror, the horror genre and either sci-fi or fantasy? Well, there always has been science fiction horror. It's a whole subgenre, The Fly, um, Lennington versus the Ants, The Thing. I mean, Who Goes There by John Campbell, who made it to The Thing. I mean, that's mm -hmm. classic science fiction horror. So that's always been a subset of horror. I mean, there are different kinds of horror, terror tales, which are kind of like psycho and mm -hmm. things like that. There's the... Um, Science fiction horror like The Fly and other and The Body Snatchers and things like that. Um, right. And then there is also um, oh, um, oh, I'm now I'm blank. I always talk about this and I've got the um, oh, Conte Cruel, Cruel Tales, where are just kind of the inhumanity to man. Um, right. The thing there that's a whole other subset. Um, right. Yeah. And it can be site. So, it's usually psychological, not supernatural at all, that kind. Right, you know, like... And then and there's I, also terror tales can mix. I mean, Stephen King does supernatural plus psychological horror together in the same yes, book. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, yeah, so it's always been around. I mean, it's always been subsets of horror. Um, <clears throat> I do think that dark fantasy is different from horror, that there's a different in degree and in tone, um, in my opinion. Yeah, they're different. <clears throat> And then there's weird fiction, which can be horror, but doesn't have to be horror. But it's wow. Great. So you know, <laughs> you it, know it, it, it all can be mixed. I mean, it doesn't. And no, matter. and I know, I know, I I kind of understand where you're coming because you see all these different stories, and of course, you pick up on all these subtleties mm -hmm. because, like you said, you've you've imagined part of what you've always done is to categorize what is the story, what what is it. The only time it counts, it matters, is when I'm doing my year's best horror, and I say, okay, is that horror? Do I consider it horror or not? And if I consider it horror, I'll and I love it, I'll take it. And okay. it can be pretty um, messy in the fact of what it, the category is. I published a story um, on Tor.com called um, by Theodora Goss, which is uh, oh my god, I can't remember the title. Uh, oh, come see the living dryad. And <clears throat> I was on the Locus um, email to discuss what was the best of the you know, their locust list for the best of the year kind of thing. And several people really liked that story. I really liked that story. And then they're saying, but it's not fantasy. It's mainstream. I said, what? It's like, oh, yeah, my son of a gun, it is. I mean, there is nothing fantastic right. in that story. Um, 
but it's still a great story, and I think it's just made the Locust Award ballot. Well, it could, okay. could it, it's not fantasy or science fiction or horror wow. for that matter. So, um, but it's a really good story about perception of what is real and what's not real. We can say maybe. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's about it's based on the truth and a true affliction where people have growths coming out of them, and in this world i mean in this story um i forget when it takes place the 1800s and 1900s the carnival has this woman who is they call her the living dryad because she's got you know she looks like branches coming out of her okay but it's a real medical condition wow that it's based on so but you know um but it feels like fantasy even though when you actually analyze it it's not yeah. Right, so and that's really interesting because, yeah, back then, uh, those freak shows, they would have people with a lot of deformities and stuff like that. So um, so it's kind of interesting. Do readers care? I don't know. No, most of them don't. I mean, I published what, what I didn't see by Karen Joy Fowler, which was an answer to the women men don't see. And it got totally – I published it in Omni, and I think um, when – reviewer whose name I won't mention, hated it so much, I think he got on the Nebula ballot and it won. I mean, he was railing about it that it wasn't, to me that one was horror. I mean, it was, um, but there was no science fiction in it, no fantasy in it. It was mainstream in the sense that nothing supernatural or even scientific necessarily happened, but it was in response to this classic story by Tiptree. And to me, it was horrific. So... You know, and no one complained except this jerk. <laughs> well, there's <laughs> always got to be the dissenting voice. Right, so. There's always got to be the jerk. <laughs> and as far as, and you were mentioning to me before that now you're working on an anthology of ghost stories as in? Yes. Ghost stories. Well, hauntings and stuff. Actually, I finished it. It's coming out in the fall. Oh, it I is? Mean, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I finished. I just went over the copy and it, God help me. <laughs> And um, yeah, it's 227 or 226,000 words. And all but three stories are new. So, yeah, I have stories by Alice Hoffman, original story, and Joyce Carol Oates, and okay. a whole bunch of other people. I think Brian Evans. I can't remember who's in which books of mine anymore. I'd have to look at the table of contents. <laughs> were you looking for, did you come across any story? I mean, like you said, some of these authors are well known, and we were discussing sometimes every once in a while, they'll write these stories that I imagine what they just. Well, they, some people, I mean, um, Alice Hoffman has been writing ghost stories and weird stories for a long time. I mean, I've been following, I've followed her from her first book, Property of, which was mainstream, but then she published um, other books that have been fantasy, fantastical. Don't ask me to remember the titles because I'm blanking. Um, Practical Magic was one that was Right, blanking. exactly, yes. Okay. So she's done fantasy, and um, Joe, my in-house editor, knows her, and so he was able to put me in touch with her, and I asked her for a story, and she came up with one. Joyce Carol Oates writes a lot of grotesquerie and um, horror and fantasy. Not mm -hmm. fantasy as much as horror, but, you know, I asked. And when I asked Joyce, she either comes up with the story right away or she doesn't respond, <laughs> basically. You know, either that sort of said, it's like, wait, don't send me this story. I haven't sold the anthology yet. It's <laughs> like, oh, no. Uh, that happened with one anthology. But anyway, it's like, so it's like, yeah. I mean, she'll either write it right away when she's got the urge or she won't do it. She won't have an idea. So, but some of them, yeah, and Brian Evanston, I think, is in it. I'm pretty sure. I mean, he writes, he's known as a mainstream writer, but he writes a lot of horror. 
you yes. know, a lot of stuff is horror and uh, dark. You know, so the uh, the book is not just ghosts per se, but kind of hauntings of people. It's more broad than that, and I actually have some new writers, people who I haven't worked with before. Okay. Um, so that's interesting. Aliette Boudar is in it. She's, um, I believe she's French-Vietnamese. Excuse me. And um, I'm going to get his name wrong. And I'll use his nickname, Inda Das. <laughs> he had, he wrote, um, some, he writes some real, he's Indian, uh, East Indian. Okay. And he wrote a really good story for me that um, uses that background, a ghost story. Yeah, so that was kind of, you know, so I reached out to people whose work, I, but I, well, that's what I always do for my anthologies. But because this was so big, I could take the chance on people who I hadn't worked with before, but whose work I like. You know, that's right. something, you know, that by learning, by seeing these people's work that I, and I considered for the year's best or whatever, this is how I become aware of some of them, you know, or right. hearing about them, you know, it's like, yeah, I'll take, I'll see if that person can write a good story for me in this theme. Right, because I, personally, I mean, as far as ghost stories, I mean, you know, especially now, you know, some of these movies are over the, they're too over the top. I don't know. I like my ghost stories on the subtle side in the sense of. Uh-huh. Creepiness. Like, creepiness, exactly. Yes. Like, well, yeah, creepiness. Get me there cool. and just, but don't drown me in blood or nothing. You know, no. Well, this. you know, I mean, blood's okay in small amounts. <laughs> you know, it's like. Yeah. But ghosts don't necessarily have to have blood. I mean. Right. Uh, it's antithetical of the ghost, actually. Did you exactly. see the ghost story with the guy in the sheet? I thought that was great. I, figured, well, yeah. I think it's called Ghost. <laughs> that prototypical that you it think of really it. It was really weird. I mean, it was really, it really worked on you. It gained momentum as it kept going, and it was very sad and weird. Did you see that? No, I ha I've seen it, but I mean, I have, I know which one you're talking about, but I have not seen it, no. I think it's called A Ghost Story. Or it's, I was like going to say, it's got a, like a very, like... Yeah, self-explanatory yeah, but, but it's really kind of interesting. I mean, it's initially you think, oh, come on, this has to be a joke. But right. it actually kind of really gets you. Right. And, that, and I guess that's what I'm talking about as far as one of these, you know, that, 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 that tension builder as far as right. whether what's happening or what's doctor. discovered. And, yeah. you know, of course, the supernatural you know, in somewhere in there, of course, but yeah, like I said, I like, I like my, my, my ghost stories on the more subtle. To me, that's more terrifying mm -hmm. at the end that sure. you're like, wow. Yeah. Like, wow, that's really creepy. That's yeah. really creepy. I mean, I'm not scared. I mean, when people say they want to be scared by shorts, by fiction, it's like, are you really scared by reading something? I mean, I'm not. I mean, I don't get scared from reading something. I, I don't expect it. How can you expect to be scared? By right. reading something. I mean, if maybe a real, I mean, you may be disgusted by it. I mean, or, yes. I mean, by scared, does you actually think this is going to happen to you now? That's the only reason you would think you're scared of something, that this is actually going to come out and get you right now. It's like, no, I mean, I, I expect to be creeped out, maybe disgusted occasionally. Right. Uh, but I don't expect to be scared by anything I read. Right. Or when you get towards when you're coming into that end that all of a sudden things make sense or things Violet, come into place. Yeah, you realize, oh, my God. That right. Is really like, crazy. that wow. is really, oh, my gosh. 
Yeah, but but it doesn't scare you. It just disturbs you. It makes you uneasy and disturbs you. Right. It, and it may last. It may last. But to me, right. scare means something's going to happen to you personally. I yes. mean, that's what scaring means. And I'm sorry, I don't buy it. Right. And, no, and to, to and me, I don't I, people who say they want to be scared even understand what they're talking about, frankly. Well, and and also to me, it's like the good stories are the ones that years will go by and you still remember yes. them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just God, that story was so good, and then years will go by, and you'll maybe you won't, but you know, you know that story, and then others just kind of fade yeah. away, like. Eh, and there's stories uh, yeah. that I can't read again. That I, well, you know, okay, um, a movie, for example. Well, I saw the thing, the Gar- Carpenter, the thing in preview, right, and I haven't been able to watch it again since, and I think I'm almost ready, maybe, to watch it again. Mm-hmm. That so freak me out freak out okay but it didn't scare me in a right. sense that happened to me but it sure freaked me out and the, the chest burster scene in alien always gets me but that's like whoa it, it always no matter how many times right it exactly and, and, and then this, this is the thing because the settings exactly. are so fantastical <laughs> chances are you're never going to find yourself there <laughs> yeah right i mean it, it'll startle me for a minute but does that right. mean it's scaring me that i actually think it's going to happen to me no well th- and, no. and i believe that uh cameron that part with the chest burster, he yeah. didn't. The oh, only ones that were in on it was John Hurt, and but none of the other cast knew exactly what was going to happen. That was mean, but good. <laughs> anyway, I didn't know that. I found that out later on, and then it's true. When you look at that scene again, and you look at all her faces, you could tell they're like totally wigging out. Like, uh-huh. like I'm supposed to be <laughs> acting, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. But yeah, and there are stories that I have read that I don't really want to read again. They're, they're so disturbing. Yes. You know, but I also can't forget them. Right. Exactly. And of course, I imagine also, it has to do also with a person's imagination. I personally have a very good imagination. And to me, the, the, the good story is the one that you're like wishing, I wish I didn't have such a good imagination because this is yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, I mean, there's scenes from movies that get me, but it's more stored the text, I think. You know, for the movies that get me, there's the scenes, like the chest-bursting scene, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the scene in um, the thing where the doctor puts his hand in the guy's chest and his hands are cut off. You and know what? I, I, and I don't... I, personally, I tell everybody, I'm not really into these slasher uh, films that have come oh, out. No, you know, not either. So I was but like, that, oh, that was the thing. You never saw the thing? Oh, the thing, absolutely. The original one. I that... know, I mean, the Carpenter one. Oh, the Carpenter, of course. I love it oh, that's because... That's that freaks me out. Yeah. It's... Um... I remember when I was a kid, okay, when I was a kid and watched the thing, the original thing with James Arness, mm-hmm. we used to get Channel 9 and 11, and they were really crappy. You know, you would get snow on them, right? Right. And so I always assumed that you couldn't see the thing clearly because of the snow from the... Not from the snow on the movie, but snow on the TV. Right. So here's... Later, like maybe 15 years ago, Film Forum had the original The Thing there. And it, nope, it was done deliberately. I mean, it wasn't the TV station. Right. It was snow, and it was, and they did it deliberately so you couldn't see because he probably, because he was like, I guess it was to be a giant carrot with James Arnett. Right, so exactly. They so say, oh, okay, I thought it was because of the TV. So I guess they kind of fudged it after all, didn't they? <laughs> well, and, and the thing was also with a carpenter was besides the obvious, the thing, it was that psychological thing that you didn't know oh, yeah. Who if the person it? next to you was the thing or a oh, real yeah, human. Great. Yeah. 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 It was terrific. Right. Right. And even at the end, the ending was great, which is like what happened with these guys? 
was one of yeah, them the no, thing? They're waiting and waiting. Like, okay. Yeah. Do they dive exposure? Did, or? <laughs> did you see, uh, have you read uh, Peter Watts' story, The Things? No. It's a story and it's kind of from The Things' point of view. <laughs> so it's oh, not yeah. a horror story, I don't think. <laughs> wow. Because, well. I mean, I, I, it was, I can't remember. I think it might have been published originally in FNSF. I'm not sure. And well, everyone was taking it for the year's best of year. It came out maybe five years ago. I didn't take it, partly because everyone else was taking it, partly because it's not a horror story. It's from the point of view of the thing. He's not a horror. I mean, it's not a, it's not horrific. It's like, it's, it's a life cycle. What's the big deal? <laughs> it has well, to be that again. Yeah, it's then that's and you're absolutely right. When you look at it from that angle, like you're not the human not on the receiving end. Story. It's like a survival story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to read it again. It was good. Right, and that's the things. Like the things I I was not <laughs> but you know what? There's always a good way to look at things. Like well, the things, but the, the, stuff like that. That some of like either whether it's a movie, but let's say in the in this sense, the books. You know, and some, and I'm a big one that. When they make, whether it's a novel or a short story or whatever, they make it into a movie. I'm so disappointed when they kind of like mess it up because yeah. it's like, yeah, why did they do I mean, that? I, I saw um, Let the Right Thing In. Let the right, no, let the right thing in. Oh, original, my God. I, I read, let I the right one in or first, something like that. It let the right one in. The original. Ah, yes. And I, sweet, and I loved it. I saw the movie first and then I read the book. The book was a little different and interesting, but actually, because I, probably because I saw the movie first, I liked the movie better. Mm-hmm. But it was really, it's quite good, I mean, both the book and the movie. Right. And it's like... Um, and I actually saw the remake, which was okay, but not as good as the right, original. Right, it's very, you know, it's kind of sad, but at the same time scary, but, you know... It's, oh, yeah. It's almost yeah. like... Yeah, the... the, the yeah, it's, I, I like that. That was... That was one of those that got you, and it wasn't because it was that horrific per se. Even though at the end you realize it is, and uh, that feeling that you get in some stories at the end of like, oh man, this is you're too late, you're, you're out of luck. Like how do you? And and I think that's also one of the things I like in stories, like even though it's kind of fatalistic, mm-hmm. where there's no finality in other words you know it's not one of these where it ends up like the good person or the hero or heroine triumphs and whatever the bad thing or bad person is vanquished it's always Mm -hmm. that um, there's at least neutral or they lose something that's that's the difference between that and dark fantasy dark fantasy has happy endings horror doesn't i mean horror might have a neutral ending where you know that even if things are come out okay that there was a cost right to the, to the world to the person whatever something whatever the dark context fantasy, is it doesn't have that dark fantasy i don't think that's how i distinguish between the two okay and that's yeah and that's uh and and, and don't get me wrong i'm not into like I, i'm not in, and i you know into the always unhappy ending because there's something oh, right. like well, you're yeah, never I'm gonna, gonna be depressed every time i watch something or read something. Yeah, i know it's like but at the same time you, you always you always want to think at the end or the, what I like my personal taste is that this character or characters always whatever are not the same as they were at the beginning because yes, of what happened right. to them. Right. Well, that's good for any, it's a good rule of thumb for almost any piece of fiction mm-hmm. that the protagonist should change in some way. Right. Or learn something or whatever <laughs> right well you know well, you, it usually I mean, the kind of the horror kind of thing is that it doesn't that something is taken from you 
Yeah. Well, in horror, yes. Because yeah. of what happened or you I mean, saw. I'm thinking you... of some thrillers. I mean, some crime books and things that I like, that I've liked a lot, that the character who goes through these things, I mean, they're not horrific. Um, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's dark crime, maybe. I mean, it's maybe bloody, but I'm not right. sure the characters change all that much, and I'm not sure it matters for that kind of a book. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm thinking of the Parker stories by, um, Parker books by uh, Donald Westlake writing as Richard Stark. Uh, you probably haven't read them. I mean, it's, no. a, it's Richard, I mean, it's about this character, Parker. He's a thief, professional thief. Okay. Uh, but he's willing to kill people, too. And anyway, I love those books. Um, and I'm tr I, I haven't read them in order, and I didn't read them all, and I, you know, haven't read them for a long time. And I don't, I mean, I know probably at the end he changes. He probably doesn't want to do it anymore. But other than that, I'm not sure he changes from book to book. And I'm not sure that matters for that series, because I, I you know, that's why I'm just... I'm just mulling this over for a different genre, you know? Right. That matter as much. Right. And then there's, you know, I don't, I, like you've seen it like a, a, almost like, um, you know, before psychopaths were usually the villain through and through. And yeah, all of a sudden it's kind of tilted the other way around where they're the hero, like Dexter. Like, what was it? The original well, I, the I green, really dark, Darkly Dexter. Dreaming but Dexter or something like that? What drives me nuts is when they become these super villains that are like, impervious to kill to death and 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 they're smarter than everyone else and they right. never get caught and it's like after a while it gets really boring it's like yes. i don't buy this anymore i'm sorry i this is like this person is so seductive they can seduce anyone into doing whatever they want and like kill all these people it's like and no one catches them ever i mean they don't make any mistakes i don't buy it i think most people killing don't get caught for other reasons like carelessness of Right. cop through you know it's not they're they're super villains and so smart and i think that does i'm not sure that's such a great um i don't know trope well, to have the super well, villain yeah. who's like i mean someone... it works with hannibal i mean i mean i love those books thomas harrison's mm -hmm. red dragon and silence of the lambs are brilliant right um and i even like the third one was that Hannibal, but you know beyond that, then it's like, oh come on, give me a break. <laughs> right. Well, like in the Silence of the Lambs, you're thinking, okay, this guy, but he was in jail. He had been captured, in other words, and that he was very brilliant, but at uh -huh. the same time, he was a psychopath that ate his victims. Yeah. You know. Right. <laughs> and. <laughs> so don't make him a hero. You know? But it was like, yeah, you kind of like. And and then the the book is they're coming to him for help. In other words, you know, right? Yeah, help us out I here. That worked. I mean, I think that worked. Um, but I'm at the sure same time, it's like worked. don't forget this guy was preying on people, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, sometimes they're innocent. I mean, they're not always horrible people who he kills and eats. <laughs> yeah, that. that. It's like, it's like, but yeah, I've seen that lately and uh, where all of a sudden the villain becomes the, the hero or the anti-hero. I don't know what you want to call them, but it's like, mm. yeah, but, you know, psycho, psycho, being a psychopath or it's not, not a good thing, not a good thing, not a good thing. And it's like, or a sociopath or none of that. Nah, not really. Leave him yeah. as a villain if you want to make him, you know, a little bit of interesting. But once you're into killing other humans, you you know, 
like when in other words voluntarily but yeah I, i've seen uh a lot of that as far as uh like yeah i'm not into that it's like you know i like my heroes human but heroes in the sense of the main mm -hmm. characters that kind of thing because otherwise and uh let me ask you um i saw that you did uh, an anthology something called the doll collection what is that about dolls because yep. I know there's a lot of people out there that have a thing about dolls. <laughs> yes, I have a lot of doll heads around. Um, you might be able to see some behind me. I don't know. Oh, maybe. There's a little one here. Most of my doll heads are all over the place. But <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I'm into dolls. And, I mean, I've been into doll parts for a while. There's one up there. Oh, but you can't see it. Um, and I always, and I, for a long time, I wanted to do a book of stories about them and it took a while to get it together I mean usually it takes me a while to get it together to say okay I really am serious about this should I write up a proposal and okay. should I ask people if you're interested in writing for it and that's basically how it works so yeah so yes it came out a couple few years ago from uh, tour books and it's uh, all stories about dolls dark fantasy fantasy mm, one science fiction story I think kind of science but mostly dark fantasy and horror. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's something about uh, the what's considered a child's rabbit. toy. Yeah. That has something. They're not all child's toys. Yeah. But I didn't want. I I asked people to avoid writing about Chucky or anything like that. <laughs> Although Ramsey Campbell did do Chucky Goes to Liverpool or something. <laughs> Chucky Goes to Liverpool. But it was uh, something like that. But it wasn't about Chucky really. It was about something else. But I allowed him to do that. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's. I mean, you have to direct. You know, if you have a theme anthology, you want to make sure you don't get the same story on the theme. You need sure. to get people to broaden their scope in what they're right. writing about right so, because I don't, yeah most i so mean I when you think of a prototypical doll it's a child's it. toy mm -hmm. and yeah. you know I, I mean there's a whole set of people out there that they're like they've be you know how there were people that were scared of clowns now there's a whole, a whole set of people that not, are scared of dolls i'm not scared of clowns i just hate them <laughs> yeah. the difference can you imagine how things have changed once upon a time clowns were like the circus uh mainstay and now i remember one time i went to a garage sale and there was you know the it you know the the, the cover yeah. of it was the well the the character of that tim curry played uh -huh. and it was like brand new and this lady and i oh my god and i bought it. She, she tells me she comes over she goes she goes i i, I was she goes I'm getting rid of it because I was reading and I would have it on my nightstand and I had to, oh, I couldn't look at the cover when I was going to sleep because mm -hmm. it just made, and, and, and now, even now after I finished reading, I, I just want to get rid of it. Okay. And it all had to do, forget the story. It was the cover. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. The cloud yeah, well, thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. I edited an anthology called nightmare carnival and I said, please no killer clowns. And of course, on the cover, I mean, they did put other things, but there is a clown, a clown on it. It's like I wish they hadn't done it, but you know, well, because now, it? well, now it died away. But what? About a year ago, everybody was seeing clowns everywhere. Oh, were they? <laughs> yeah, it was. You know, I'm sure some of these, you know, people were dressing up as clowns and being seen by schools, and there were people were calling the police, and it was like it was it got out of hand, and I. I know there was a bunch of people probably running around trying to wig out the public. 
Yeah, it was like, probably. how did this thing take off? <laughs> yeah, you know, like thanks, people, thanks to Stephen King. <laughs> well, yeah, I know Stephen is like, and talk about yeah, he's he's he's. That's that, and I think that's one of his most powerful though, as far as that he takes the common, the ordinary, mm-hmm. and it makes sense of something yeah. really horrible. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sure. So anyway, Ellen, thank you so much. It has been wonderful to talk to you. Oh, you're thank welcome. You. It's been a pleasure. When is when is your when is this ghost? Because that's that's my favorite. It's, called, it's called Echoes, the Saga Anthology of Ghost Stories. It should be out in October, I believe. But right now, I have this book out. This just came out, The Devil of the Deep, which is um, sea horror. <gasps> really? That's just that's out from Nightshade. Yeah, it's in hardcover and trade paperback, audio and ebook. So, Horror Stories of the Sea. Oh, my God, yes. So that has to just, do with what? I take it, what, just monsters, ghost ships? Some ghost stuff? ships. Not that many monsters. I mean, sea monsters, but mm-hmm. there's stuff coming out of the sea, stuff in the sea, uh, hauntings, murders, all kind of stuff. Yay! Just my kind of stuff. I love it. Yay! Yeah, I've got to look is. that up because I'm telling so, you. Sometimes okay. I I I'm running short on time, and and I'm mm-hmm. I'm you know you you probably can't tell, but I have stacks of books no, all over the I've place. No, but I've got stacks all over the place. But... You know, I can tell everybody yeah. by the time yeah. I'm seven years I old that I got I got my you library card. You can read you can read a story on the toilet. <laughs> yeah, no, I've I've been. I mean, I would my mom. I would go to dinner. I'd be having a book. And she's like, put the book down and eat. Yeah, you know, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, well, I was very—I got very good at ignoring my parents when they called me to eat when I was reading a book. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, I mean, yeah. every, you know, have book will travel. That was Marlene's, uh, right. you know. Yeah, yeah. So, well, anyway, it's been a pleasure. Likewise, and I want to thank you again uh, so, so much. It has been wonderful to talk to you well, and gain a little insight. You. And I will most definitely be looking up that book and looking cool. forward in October for Halloween, cool. Halloweeny time. Yeah, and let me know when um, when this goes up or whatever. Absolutely. I will let you know about yeah. that. I have the best of the year coming out in June, and then I have the best of the best of the year coming out in October also, which is the first 10 years of the best of the year. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, Ellen, take care, darling. Have take a good care. Day. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh, boy. Oh boy, I'm telling you. (laughs) I love it, love it. This is right up Marlene's alley. I know a lot of you also up your alley because otherwise you're going to be looking at the show. But anyway, yes, I I love, you know, I I love story, you know, novels like, you know, as in the Stephen King and but lately sometimes especially with I, I like short stories but I know what she means well written short stories that you get it even if it's a short story that um, it, it, it's it, you know of course it's got the begin. it's like that that it's not a prequel you know what I'm saying you know because there's some short stories it's like okay all you're doing is just setting me up for the novel no I, I want the whole thing I, I want I want that story in that short story and sometimes you know like I said you know you don't have time to do this stuff except I can't I gotta get that book that deep oh my god I swear I'm 
well, you guys can't see it upstairs. I, I mean, even on my stairs, I have boxes and boxes of books. I don't let go of books. And, you know, everybody's got Kindle and stuff. But to me, there's something. As a matter of fact, look, look, look what I'm reading right now. The Mammoth Book of Short Horror Novels. See, and I got that right. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yes, I am. I love horror, sci-fi. Mm, sci-fi depends. Because some sci-fi sometimes gets too techy for me. I know there's sci-fi people out there that are like, the techier, the better. But some of them, for me, if they're too, too, too techy, I get, I fade. But, you know, sci-fi fantasy, uh, horror, ghost. <laughs> they're doing these genres because I, and I imagine because they recognize there's people that follow certain um, like like that, you know, from the ocean, the sea, all those mysteries and murders and ghost ships and yeah, baby. Oh, I love that. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I think I'll be reading, day, let's put it this way, the day I stop reading, it's like, take me quick to the hospital, something's wrong with me. Because, and, um, because it does, it's, it, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love TV. I love television. I wasn't kidding. A lot of times, though, I'm really disappointed when they take these great stories and they put them in film, and it's like, why did you do that? You killed it. It was such a great story because, to me, reading, what was that old show? Reading is fundamental. Reading does something with your imagination. Besides the practical, like I said, I've been reading since I was a kid. It, you know, it, it helps you with your vocabulary and even with your grammar and just, but more than anything, okay, it makes your imagination fly. Uh, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I consider now I look back, I, I even do kind of like a meditation when I'm reading because I remember as I was growing up, you could throw a bomb next to me and if I was into that book, what I was reading, that's it, I was gone. I could sit in a, I could sit in a room with people talking loudly and I would I could zone into what I was reading and everything would fade out and by the way I wasn't always reading just horror or stuff I read everything and I was growing up you know besides the ghost books like Hans Holzer I read all the Black Stallion books by Farley I mean you name it I did my stint when I was a teenager and the big romance novels that were real big during the 70s and uh you know like Kathleen Woody was I, I read everything I could get my hands on you know I uh, uh I like reading some biographies uh but always my favorite has always been ghost stories supernatural suspense thriller horror some true crime uh and like I said I'm I'm not really that much into the gore you know so a little bit is good because it scares you, you know? nobody wants to get killed plus get killed in a bad way where you suffer but if that's how you're scaring people it's like eh, forget it I, I want something more subtle something that stays with you more something that's plausible um that you stick almost like in a way you want to say man that could happen to me wow or I didn't see that coming, or whatever the case might be. Like I said, that the person or the character, whether it's a short story or a long story at the end, is not the same anymore. 
better or worse changed sometimes better you know what is it what doesn't kill you makes you stronger kind of thing and um you know it's that that kind of that's 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 the flavor of the stories i like and um you know for all those would-be writers out there let me tell you something she made a very good point how you when we're talking about the piano thing and the writing thing and everything is like that is how you get better at it is you write and you write and you write and you write and you write again and you know you submit your stories to anybody who's willing to look at it if you join a writer's club um and you know sometimes a lot of people say well you know god everything's been played out when it comes to whatever sci-fi you know horror suspense but look at what she just said which i didn't know you know what and sometimes when you get busy you kind of lose sight of what's going on around you that writer that wrote the story about the things perspective as in the thing the things come on here was this story that's already been made twice into a film and they took that idea but they just turned it around and sometimes um you'd be surprised if you take an idea but then you insert your reality not redo it because you know you don't want to plagiarize somebody's idea but you write a different perspective that's totally yours that's totally different that's totally fresh okay and sometimes that takes off on its own more so than you know than people expect you know and um every writer's different you know like i was saying stephen king to me he writes about some really let's face it stephen king his settings are where always maine little town maine is where most of his stories are set out of that's what i meant it's like always the ordinary the regular folks you know like in salem's lot you know his little town called jerusalem's lot or needful things <clears throat> you know where evil just all of a sudden comes in to the lives of these for lack of a better word dull people in the sense of they're just living their lives and how do they deal with evil pure evil okay um and i think that's that's one of the most distressing creepy things about his books is that his characters a lot of them yeah they've got their faults and maybe they've got their secrets but at the end they're kind of ordinary and then what happens when they stumble across or they become the victim of or whatever of a monster whatever the origins are of it and um let me tell you something i'm really looking forward to to uh that book when it comes out in Halloween time so again guys thank you for being part of my audience uh, don't forget to subscribe whether it's on YouTube or on any of the podcast platforms if you're listening to the podcast version so that you can get notified whenever I release a new show okay my true believers don't forget to send me your stories you I've been getting some fantastic stories okay and like I said you don't want to write it if you don't want to videotape call me contact me okay and uh, we'll, we'll figure something out 
said this before, I'm also considering putting some li- doing some live shows and putting in a phone line where some people can call in. The only, the only reason I'm, I'm really thinking hard about this is that I know there's always the ah, the pranksters I'm being nice about. I don't want to use the word I'm really thinking of that is going to mess things up, especially when I'm doing a live show. All right. But I'm considering that doing a phone where people can call in and just talk about it. You don't tell the story. Um, catch me. I do a lot of live streaming on Facebook. And also on Twitter via Periscope. Alright. And again, guys. Uh, if you have any suggestions for new shows. I got a lot of great guests coming on. A lot of fantastic guests coming on. Uh, that I know you guys are going to be thrilled with. And I'm also, I've had a lot of requests to do storytelling. As in, some of these ghost stories. Like about certain cities or about certain locations. I'm going to be doing some storytelling as far as ghost stories about different places you know like for example St. Augustine that's got all these different ghost stories and I'm going to see if I can dig up just not the well-known ones like the fort but about other ones that sometimes are older and less well-known for example as an example people have been asking for some storytelling so again guys thank you so much and I look forward to our the next time that we are together and we discuss stories of the supernatural